Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you. Please come and grab a seat. If you've got a Bible, could you please turn to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. If you haven't met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here and I want to offer you a very warm welcome. What we're doing today is we're going um, through our sermon series on the book of uh, the Psalms of Ascent which we'll come to and explain in a minute. We've done a bunch of them. We're on Psalm 126. But we've entitled this series, Life's Playlist. And what we're doing is we're looking at the Psalms as songs for life. And actually, as part of that, we're seeing how they apply to our life, the highs and lows, as our modern pop songs do. But what we've done at the beginning of each of these sermons, we've invited one of our leaders to come up to share their playlist uh, for their life and to just learn a little about them and meet some of our leaders. So I'm going to introduce Becky Do you want to come up here? Can we give Becky a hand, please? And Becky is going to come and share a little bit of her playlist before we get into the text for today. So over to you, Becky. Good morning. Um, So as you've heard, I'm Becky. I'm married to Jeremy, and I've got three kids, um, Joel, Caitlin, and Isaac. I'm not going to say much about them because I think Jeremy spoke quite a bit about them last week. Um, I'm... During the week, I work for Acacia Family Support, which is a charity that works with moms and their families who've got pre- and postnatal depression. Um, I am the volunteer coordinator, so my job is to recruit and train and support our 50-ish volunteers. Um, I love it. I think it's such a privilege for me to be able to be with them. I get to meet... Um, well, sorry... Being South African and being new to here, I get to meet people who've lived in Birmingham from different cultures and religions and, and ages and hear their stories, and I, I just really love it. Um, I, um, on the leadership team, uh, Jeremy and I oversee two life groups, and at the moment we're also running a life group. So that's what I do, and um, my playlist. I've got two teenagers at home, and so my house is full of music. Joel, who's sitting behind you, often has earphones on, so we don't hear his music. But Caitlin, and I'm saying this because she's not in here, I hope, um, she has always got her music blaring. She's got her phone, and she carries her music on the phone with her wherever she's going, whether she's in the bathroom, wherever she is in the house, her music is going. So there's not very often that I have my music playing. We have mostly Disney theme tunes and musicals, and that's what we listen to. So on the day that I have off, which is every now and then once a day a week, I actually have silence. (laughs) I don't play anything. I sit at home and I have no sound at all. I will read a book or I just have time to myself um, just because there's always noise. But in the car, I love to have music and that's my place. So in my job, I travel between our four centers quite a bit. And I'm by myself, and so I love to have music there that I enjoy. I love classical music. One of my favorite is Ludwig Audi. He's an Italian composer. I love listening to him. I also love August Rush. I don't know if any of you have watched the movie, August Rush. My favorite movie, and I absolutely love the guitar music in that. But I also love worship. And music has to move me. So I usually have a song which becomes like my anthem. Um, that I listen to over and over and over again. And it's usually kind of something that God is doing with me at that time. 
So at the moment, I'm look, listening to Reckless Love, and it's just speaking to me, and I'll probably listen to it until the kids and Jeremy, if they hear it, are sick of it. Um, and then I'll go on to something else, and that's really how I do. But for me, music has got to be something that God is speaking to me and leading me. Thank you. All right, thank you. Can we give Becky a clap, please? Thank you. All right. Hope you found Psalm 126, the Psalms of Ascent. They're a group of psalms within the whole book of psalms. They number from number 123 to 134. So there's 15 of these psalms. And these were sung by pilgrims on their journey from their homes all over Israel to the city of Jerusalem. The people of God were called three times a year to travel from their homes to God's city, Jerusalem, the holy city, to celebrate one of the three annual feasts. There was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, which is the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, which was Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. So there were these three feasts. People had to travel up to them. While they did that, these journeys could have taken many days. They sang these songs, and we've been looking at the Psalms of Ascent, and they They cover many kind of aspects of life. There's the highs, there's the lows of life's journey. They're all encompassing them. So they're very much like our modern pop songs and things that we listen to that have the highs and also have the lows that people put to music. So they really are a playlist for our life. Now, the structure of the Psalms, we put it out behind you now. I don't know if you can see very well. Sorry, we're still waiting for a bit of our projector to get our... Get this aligned a bit better. Um, hopefully that'll be next week. But we, the Psalms were sent, they're 15, but they can be broken down into little groups of three, where the first one is a situation of stress, the next one is about the Lord's power to deliver, and then the third one is about coming home, and they cycle round all the way. And then the final three of the, the set are all about being in God's holy city when we get there. So we're at Psalm 126. So we've gone back up to the top. So we've got a bit more of a situation of stress and distress. And what's going to happen today is we're going to be looking backwards and forwards. That's what the psalm is about. And we often spend time in our life looking backwards and forwards. Um, we look um, backwards over significant events. I don't know if you want to reflect back on your life and things that you remember. They're often the fun ones that can stick in our minds. I remember from my life, I remember growing up in a village in Sussex called Newark that I loved. It was a great time growing up and I look back that with fond memories and I look back on holidays that I had as a children with my family, places we went. We went to Centre Parks a few times, we went abroad a couple of times and I look back at them and I remember them. I remember going to university, training to be a teacher and all that happened there. I remember my first class. I could probably, at a push, still name all 30 kids from my first class which was way back when, because there was something special about them, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. I I remember getting married. I remember having children. I remember coming and moving to Sutton Colford just over eight years ago to plant real-life church and all that that matters. So we look back with all the good things, but at the same time, we also look forward in life at things to come. When I was young, I looked forward to what would I do when I grew up. I really didn't think I'd be doing this. Astronaut, international spy, That kind of thing was on my horizon, professional sportsmen. They didn't work out, but I looked forward. Who was I going to marry? Was I going to have children? What job was I going to do? What was it going to be like? What did the future hold? All those kind of questions. And the psalm we're looking at today has both a backwards and a forwards element. And we're going to look at that. And the theme that runs through it, interestingly, is a theme of joy. There is a significant amount of stress in there as well, but actually there is joy that rolls through it. So we're going to be two halves of the psalm. Now, we've been putting songs to this, actual songs as well, so 
today's song for this psalm is Gorm. Okay, things can only get better by D-Ream. Joe, that was very enthusiastic there. Very enthusiastic. You want it? Joe, Joe knew this song. Can anyone give me a year? Oh, close. 1993 it was. And just for an extra bonus point, who's the famous keyboard player from... Brian Cox, the super brainy physicist who's on TV narrating documentaries about the universe, was apparently a keyboard player in D-Ream back in the 90s. He's now moved on to possibly better things. Who knows? So there's things today. Things can only get better. And after the start this morning, things can only get better. So let's have a little look at the psalm. If you've got it, I'm going to read it out to you. If you haven't, You can follow along. I'll put it on the screen behind you. Here we go. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nation, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seeds for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Okay, big idea today. We are to remember that what God has done for us is better than anything else and to cry out for him to do it again. We are to remember that what God has done for us is better than anything else and to cry out to him to do it again. All right, this psalm, 126, six verses. It can be broken neatly in half. Verses 1 to 3, look back. Verses 4 to 6, look forward. Verses 1 to 3 are very much a worldview, kind of looking at the nations, while 4 to 6 a lot more local and close to home, doing very much with a farming and harvesting context. And all of them have a theme of joy running through it despite the distress of life. So we're going to quickly look at both halves of this. First half, things had got better. Things had got better. It said at the beginning, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. So the first thing the psalmist does is remember. The psalmist remembers what's happened. And the word it uses there is restored, restoration. A returning of possessions. It's all associated with the return from exile from the people of God. Now, Zion there refers to the city of Jerusalem. And if you know this history of God's people, the exile uh, was the low point in it. If you start sort of going back, we have um, the Exodus under Moses, where the people of God came out of Egypt and they were a nation. They were God's people. Moses led, uh, led them out. Gave them the law on Mount Sinai, and they're kind of they were identified. God says, "You are my people. You're my special possession. I love you. I'm for you." And Moses led them out, and they had the law, which set them apart as God's holy people. They then enter the promised land under Joshua. We looked at that last year, the whole book of Joshua, what it meant to take the promised land as a people of God. They then settle in the promised land. They have the period of the judges. 
things go downhill. Then the kings come in. Saul doesn't turn out well. Then you have David, the king, the greatest king in the history of Israel, and his son Solomon, where through them the nation of Israel kind of gets to its highest point. It's prosperous. It's, um, it's peaceful. There's harmony. There's, there it expands to its kind of largest amount. People outside looking and think, wow, God is with you. It is amazing. But then at the death of Solomon, it all goes pear-shaped. The kingdom splits in half. You have the northern kingdom that's called Israel and the southern kingdom, which still has Jerusalem, is called Judah after the largest tribe at the time. And then basically those two kingdoms go on a downward uh, tilt all the way with succession of bad king after bad king. Occasionally a good one pops up. I don't know if there's any in the north, occasionally in the south, there's a couple to keep things going. The northern kingdom is destroyed by Assyria, about 722 BC, boom, Syrian empire comes out, wipe them out, because they're continual turning away from God. And then the prophets come to uh, Judah in the south and say, repent, don't leave the Lord God, follow him, follow his laws, and they refuse, and eventually in 586, Babylon destroys the city of Jerusalem, and the people are taken into exile. It is kind of the, the low point. And if you read some of the prophets like Jeremiah um, and the stories there, they're just let out. Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. It's just the worst. They're, they're taken off and you get the stories like um, Daniel and Esther at the back end of our New, uh, Old Testament that sort of tell some of this story. But then what happens later is you have, um, in the book of Nehemiah, you have the king of Persia, which has destroyed Babylon, then sends the exiles back. So there is restoration the city of Jerusalem is rebuilt. The temple is restored. There is good times. And what, that's what the psalm is referring to. It was like those who dream. They heard the stories. Some of them even seen it. The devastation of their city. But God had restored them in his mercy. And so they returned. And it's like, can we believe what we're seeing? It, it's too good to be true. The city has been rebuilt. The, the, the walls are being rebuilt. The temple is being restored sacrifice and worship can take place in God's holy city and it's like they're in a dream and it says they respond to that that second verses two and three what how do they respond it says our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy so there is a natural outpouring of praise at what God has done you see the parallelism in the Psalms there with mouth and tongue. Often it's repeated twice when you read a psalm in the poetic language. It says the same thing twice, basically. There is exuberant praise. Not very British, but still these people were excited. Or We're not very British, we're not very expressive, unless we're watching a sporting event. Then we can be very expressive. But these guys... This nation, they were shouting and screaming and praising because God had restored his holy city. And what he had done had been dramatic because it had been destroyed. It had been devastated. A foreign power had come and wiped it out. And now God had restored it to them. And as a result, there's a couple of confessions that you see in verses 2 and 3. One of them is from the watching world, the nations. What do they say among the nations? They say, the Lord has done great things for them. What God had done had been so dramatic that those outside pagan nations, nations who didn't follow the God of Israel, are saying, wow, what God has done is incredible. What your God has done for you in restoring you is amazing. And even the nations watch and the nations are praising. And the nations are recognizing this is incredible. And then also, we also get the community itself, the people of God. What do they say? 
The Lord has done great things for us. So the outside world is saying, man, God's done some great things for you. And the people on the inside are saying, God has done great things for us. Isn't it amazing? And then at the end, in the masterful understatement, last three words, we are glad. We are glad. God has restored us. We've come back to the land he's promised us. The city is being rebuilt. The temple is being rebuilt. Things are good. The feasts and the sacrifices can continue as they once were. Things had got better. Things had got better. And there's an interesting question for us, an application for us as believers here. Is that we people who look back at what God has done in our life and celebrate? Are we people who often look backwards and see what God has done and celebrate it? Because often we can get so caught up in the moment, what's happening now, life is crashing in now, things are going on now, I've got pressure from this area, pressure from this area, family and work and health and, and money and all these things that are going on in the political environment. What's going on is all pressures that we fail to remember what God has done in the past. We fail to take heart and, and take hope from that. And if you're a believer here, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you have the ultimate thing to celebrate. Your salvation. God saved you. God took you when you were an enemy, when you were far from him, when you were an object of his wrath, it says, because you wanted to go your own way. You didn't have any interest in God or anything he did. You spurned his gifts. You spurned his creation. You spurned his lordship. You said, no. And yet in that moment, God reached in and grabbed you. And he saved you. And he pulled you out. And he set your feet on a rock. And he changed your, your sin and your brokenness and your fallenness for his righteousness, his holiness. He gave you a hope and a purpose he, he cancelled the debt against you for all the evil things you'd done. Wiped it out. It's paid for in his son on the cross, Jesus. And now you can live in harmony with God. You can have him as your father. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You're part of God's family, the church. And that will be something that will carry on into eternity. What an incredible thing. It's why when we start our meetings, we always plan to start with celebration. First thing we do when we come in is to say, we say at the band, we want three songs. We want them upbeat, we want them Jesus-focused, and we want to celebrate. We want to praise God for what he's done. Praise God for what he's done in our lives. We want to look back and remember all his good gifts, all the things that he's done that are now still out working in our present, but they happened sometime in the past. And as believers, we should be brilliant at this. This is something we should make a point of in our life, to celebrate God's good gifts to us. We have our salvation, which is kind of the beginning of it all, but often we've got things to celebrate around that before that happened. Believing friends and parents who God put in your life to lead you to Jesus, all those things. And then from that point on, you've got things that God has done in your life that brings you to here. All the things that led up to him where he has answered prayers, he has led you, he has, he has helped you, has given you peace and hope in times when you've cried out for him and he has led you through dark moments. All those things we can celebrate. If you're still struggling, you're here listening to me. Celebrate. <laughs> you've got to be really reaching if that's all you can think of. 
But we need to be people who look back and thank God. And I want to just challenge us here. Are you, are we a people who regularly take time to thank God for what he's done? To look back and say, God, you restored us when we were lost, when we were broken. Do you make a habit of it? What we try and do in our family just to help us with this, because I find we're not very good at this. Everything else kind of gets rushed in. With the kids every night, before we put them to bed, we do our prayers, and we always start with thank you prayers. What can we thank God for today? What's happened in the last sort of period since we prayed, last 24 hours, what's happened? And so we get the kids to pray, to say thank you, Jesus. And we have to do it too, as mum and dad. We say thank you. I, in my journal, I write in my journal most days, and I always start at the top, I date it, and I write thankful, underline, colon, and then I try and write a list. Things I'm thankful for from the previous time I wrote. Anything. Just to try and cultivate a heart of thankfulness. When we meet together as life groups, we encourage us to talk and to pray together. Part of that should be thanking God for what he's done. If you're regularly praying, there'll be answered prayers to thank God for. Things that's happened in your life. I know in our life group we have a WhatsApp group that kind of things get fired out and there's the organization. This is where group is this week. Who needs to bring what for food? But then within that, there's often prayer requests, and people say, do you know what, God's just answered this prayer, this has happened, and we can all say, thank you, God, for that. We need to be a people who are thankful and make a habit of it as we look back over our life and neglect not his wonderful mercies that come to us. That's about looking forward. Let's go to the next section. Things are going to get better. (laughs) Things are going to get better. It says in verse 4, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. So what we've got here is the pilgrim who's traveling. Obviously something's gone on in life. They're facing a new situation of stress. We don't know what it is. We don't know what's going on. Something's happening in their life where they're facing difficulty. And what they do is they look back to what's happened. God's answered prayers. God's done something. God has been amazing in the past. It's all these things I can celebrate. Then they become fuel for prayer for the present. And into the future. So looking at this situation, looking at what happened, they begin with prayer. He says, restore our fortunes, O Lord. He's praying. He's saying, God, what you've done in the past, do it again now. I want you to, I know you're capable, I know you've done it, I want you to move in this current situation. And he uses an image like streams in the Negev. The Negev is a reference to um, an area and there were riverbeds that in the summer would have got very dry and barren, and they would have had no water, and there would have been that cracked earth you can see in a very arid and dry country. And you might have seen images, you might have even been to places like that. But then when the rains come, as you head to winter time, there is a deluge, a downpour of these rains, and the riverbeds very quickly fill. They fill, and then suddenly the streams are flowing where there had been no streams. And what the commentators tell us, it's like one of those stop-motion Um, scenes you see on uh, wildlife documentaries where suddenly everything breaks into life. The plants come up that have been hidden under the ground, not known they're there, and suddenly there is life and energy and things are sprouting up. And so the picture here is God moving into a situation with his presence and his power and transforming it. What was dead, what was barren, what was dry, what was dusty is suddenly full of life and vibrancy and hope. And the psalmist is praying and saying, God, do that. Do where I'm facing this situation where it's not going the way I want it. Bring your life. Bring your hope. Restore what is happening. 
The psalmist has recognized what God's done in the past and then is now making a request for the future. Do something. He cries out to God in prayer. He doesn't face the situation and say, it's all gone wrong. It's all, gone, it's all going terribly and doing nothing. His response is immediately to turn to prayer. It's immediately to turn to prayer. And I don't know what you're facing in your life right now. If it's difficulty, is your response prayer? Because we all face difficulties at certain times. Pressures come in, things happen, stuff comes out of the blue. What do you do? The psalmist here is a lesson for us. He turns straight to God and he prays. You remember what God's done in the past. You are faithful. You are able. You are a good God. You love us. You are for us. And then he prays and says, God, do it again. Do it again in this situation. Make those streams flow in bound and dry places. Bring forth life and hope. And then the final part there, there is a promise from God. There is a promise. It says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And so you've got a contrast here. There's the image of sowing and there's the image of reaping in harvest. And the image of sowing is an image of planting. Seeds going into the ground is an image of sadness. It is an image of tears. It is an image of weeping, of uncertainty. When the farmer sows, plants seed in the ground, there is an uncertainty. Are they going to come to life? Is anything going to happen when I do this? The image of tears, of sadness, but almost like watering the earth. Is anything going to come a part of this? So then the other side, you have reaping, which is an image of harvest and plenty and joy and hope and shouting and celebration and the fulfillment of the promises. And what we have here is a situation where the psalmist is saying there is pain now. There is pain and hardship in this moment, but it will not last. Things will get better. There will be joy coming. What one day is tough will one day be turned around. What one day is hurt and pain and weeping will end with joy and shouting and celebration. The seed that has been sown will ultimately result in a harvest will ultimately result in a harvest. Jesus himself talked about this. John 12, 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. There are seasons of pain and difficulty, and the psalmist was going through them, but ultimately they will be turned around for good and for joy and for hope. And as the people of God, like the people here who were in exile, facing that, coming back from exile, dealing with the land and what had happened there, the devastation and destruction, we are people who are to reflect on past events. We are to look back and take hope in them. We are to look back and be joyous in them. We are to look back and say, God has done great things in all those things. But at the same time, we are to look forward And say, do you know what? Things are going to get better. Whatever's happening right now, whatever you're facing, whatever pain and sorrow it looks through, no matter how tough it is, and it can be tough, I do not want to belittle that, I can say with confidence that things are going to get better. It's just not a trite song. 
I read read this morning, I looked it up on the Wikipedia page, um, and Brian Cox, who's the physicist who used to be in the the band, apparently he made a comment, a bit of a jokey comment in an interview after saying, oh, you used to be in this band. He said, scientifically speaking, it is the most inaccurate pop song ever written. And he was reflecting the fact that one day the uh, the sun will die, the earth will be consumed, and all life will end. I don't think he professes a faith of any kind. And so he's saying, do you know what? This song is so inaccurate, almost silly, but people love to sing it. Things aren't going to get better. Things are just going to get worse, and eventually you're all going to die, and the universe will end. Poof. I can tell you, because I've read my Bible and I've read the last bit, (laughs) things are going to get better. Whatever you face right now, one day things will get better. It might happen in this life. I believe God's Spirit will always be with you. I believe the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control, and they will always be with us. But I believe one day things will get better, and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, and there'll be no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears. And so no matter what we face now, we can pray with confidence. God, restore the fortunes of Zion people of God. We can say, do that, and it might happen in this life, and we'll see some of it, but it will definitely happen in the next life. And we can look forward with hope, and we can look forward with expectation that no matter how difficult life is now, things are going to get better. But what happens if you're in the moment, if you're now, and things are tough, and you find yourself sowing? Sowing. What do we do in those moments? How do we sow in such a way that will reap a harvest in this life and the next. Four things. First one, we pray. We are to be people of prayer. We are to be people of prayer who thank God for what he's done, who acknowledge where we are in the moment, if it's hard, and we are to look to the future and say, God, restore the fortunes of your people. Restore to us what was lost. God, move in this situation. If you're in a situation that is dry and barren, and it's painful, and it's tough. Pray, God, let your living water throw and bring life. Rush in with power and authority. Do something to transform it. I want to pray at the end for all you people. And I pray, I was preparing this, I just felt like that image of the streams in the Negev, and you see those images on the television, and it happens within a few days. Life comes. I think God is going to move in power and transform some of your situations. He may, not, he may transform the situation. He may transform you in the situation so you face it differently. But I'm going to believe God wants to move on some of you today and what you're facing. Do this as individuals. You pray. Pray with your families. Pray with your life groups. Come and join us when we gather and pray as a church to do those things, to pray into them. Be a people who call out to God first and foremost when things are going on in life. Second thing, how do we, we sow? We keep reading our Bibles. We keep reading our Bibles. We pick up our Bible every day and we open it and we read it. It doesn't have to be a long section. It can be a short section. We talk about this week in, wake out. That's what we need to be doing. Because why? This reminds us of the promises of God. We read Psalms like Psalm 126. If you don't know where to start, spend this week reading six verses of Psalm 126 every day. Just remind yourself of the things God has done. Pray to him for the future and everything else is going on. Knowing that whatever tears you sow, will one day there will be a harvest. He's promised it. He will bring something out of this in this life or the next. We will know it. The third thing, 
Worship. Celebrate. Celebrate with God's community. Get here. Be here. Get ready to go. Praise God. We're going to do it again in just a moment. Praise God. Jeremy said last week his application was quite simple. If you missed it, I could sum it up for you. You don't have to listen to the sermon. He said, listen to more Christian music. I know you all have. That's why I say because I know you've all caught up. Listen to more Christian music. Get it in you. Celebrate. Worship in your car, in your house, when you're out exercising or on your commute with your earphones in. Put some good music on that lifts your spirit, that fuels your soul, that reminds you, God, you are amazing and you have done great things and you will continue to do great things in this world. And fourthly, be part of God's community. Be part of the local church. Join a local church. Get stuck in. For most of you, here is the best place. If you have guests and visitors from other churches, other places, find one where you live. Get stuck in. Get plugged in. Get involved in their community, serving, being part of it, going where they're going, the direction, the vision, the leaders are set. Before God, do that. Get involved. Don't stand at arm's length. Be part of the people of God. All right, we're going to finish there. Can you want to stand? I'm just going to give you a couple of questions and I'm going to pray to finish. Pray to finish. Okay, do you want to just close your eyes for a moment? I'm going to ask you this question. What has God done for you in the past? Take a moment now to start running a spiritual inventory. What has God done for you? Think about your salvation. Think about how he saved you, where you were when he saved you. Who was there? What's happened in your life since then? Think about what he's done since then. How he's blessed you and how he's led you to this place to be part of his church. How he might have healed you, provided you with jobs and homes and families and friends. How he's met your needs financially, emotionally, spiritually. How he's put people alongside you who stand with you and pray with you. Take a moment and thank him for that. Make a commitment now to be a thankful person. Maybe it's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning. Maybe you're going to write a list and put a post-it note on your mirror in your bathroom. Maybe you put an alert on your phone that says, at 10 o'clock I'm just going to stop and thank God for something. To acknowledge all the things he's done in my life. Why not do that? What about where you are right now? Where's it tough right now for you in your life? Where's it tough? Where's the, where's the tough place, the tough relationship, the tough situation? Where are you facing that? It feels like the desert. It feels like devastation. It feels like the enemy has come in and wrecked something. I want you to ask God about that now. And only you can ask for you. It's your situation because only you know it because you haven't been sharing it. I want you to just take a moment to bring that to God. Name it specifically. Tell him how you feel. And then ask him to restore.
what's been going on there. Ask him to bring his power and his authority into that. Ask him to flood that like waters in the desert. Ask him to send a downpour on your situation. Ask him to restore hope and life and energy and vitality. Ask him to bring salvation, if that's what's needed. Ask him to bring finances or healing, whatever it is. Be specific before him.